0: Good morning, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room, excited you guys are here. Uh, If you're brand new, my name is Danny, and I'm going to be sharing with you today, I'm one of the pastors at Kesed. Uh, I I want to start off with a prayer today, because uh, Kesed, we're pretty authentic in our our experiences, especially Sunday morning, and I've already had a few people grab me and be like, hey, what kind of Father's Day message is this? Uh, Because Father's Day is a hard, it's a hard talk, It's it's a hard place for a lot of people to go, and uh, I want to kind of tweak that a little bit today. My hope is that no matter your uh, experience, no matter where you are, no matter if you, if you even are a father, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a young person or a woman, that this really encourages you uh, in regards to the Lord our Father and how He wants us to father each other. Whether we're fathers or not, whether we're men, women or not, there is, a, there is this aspect of spiritual fathering in the Bible that is really, really powerful that we often just try to equate only to men and only to men with children. And I think sometimes then I end up talking to a very small portion of the audience and other people are like, I'm here for my dad and just let's get it over with so we can go to brunch. Uh, and so I want to pray for us today that, that we can kind of expand that a little bit, that we can sort of say, okay, Lord... Uh, we recognize this day is, is, is a day of honor, but also a day of struggle uh, for some. And so let's just ask him to kind of use what we have and what we brought into the room to, uh, to teach us more about who he is and who he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for all of the folks here today, especially the guests, people that uh, maybe are taking a risk, people that took time to come down and spend Uh, a Sunday morning, people who are seeking and searching, people who are questioning or challenging, and even those of us, Lord, who call this home. Thank you that you, through your Spirit, can minister to each and every one of us right where we are, right how we are. Thank you for today. Thank you for the way that you already used uh, the earlier experience, and I pray, Lord, now uh, for those in this room and perhaps even those that are watching online, that, God, they would experience your presence and your purpose and your power right now. We lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're in a series, and I'm going to stay in it today. Uh, our series is called Crimson, and we're going to be, if you have a Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 10. Uh, I'll have all the verses on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible, but I want to start off with the same verse that I'm going to close with, because I think this verse will be a great acre point for us in our thinking, and that verse is Acts 11. 18, and this is what it says. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, when you read this verse just as it is, it's not very romantic. It's not very, uh, you know, uh, sexy, if you will. It's not one you'd throw in a bumper sticker, that's for sure. Uh, But it is a verse that actually anchors and took a whole bunch of fathering to accomplish. Uh, It's a result of actually some of the very best fathering we could see within the Bible, and it was accomplished by our God. And so I want to explain to you why this verse is the verse that we're going to uh, unpack today. But first, let's just catch up a little bit. We've been seeing God orchestrate something wonderful throughout the book of Acts so far. Uh, Those of you who read the Bible or those of you who are new, let me just share that God is releasing in this portion of the Bible his spirit upon the world. He's doing it through uh, his disciples, but really primarily two men. He's doing it through Saul, who would be known as Paul as well, and he's doing it through Peter. And Peter primarily is kind of the father of the, the modern church. He is the stone that the church was built upon. He is the rock, if you will. Jesus is, of course, the cornerstone, but Peter is the one who took that mantle and brought it into the world, as we know. And there's all kinds of amazing things happening. And what we often think is that Peter must have just been a really good speaker because the church just exploded, or the disciples must have had an edge because the church just took off. And that's actually not true. It isn't that they didn't have an edge or that they weren't great speakers, but that's not the reason the church exploded, the reason the church exploded and is being recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, that's what this book's about, is because the earliest Christians bore a simple yet radical message for their day that no one had ever shared before. It was a message that came from Jesus Christ, and it was this. The one true God was releasing salvation to the ends of the earth, salvation that was for all people. This is unheard of. People during this time lived in small sects and systems. They believed that if you were born this way, you believed this way. And if you were born this way, there's no way you could ever believe like us for you were born outside our system. And here comes Jesus through Paul and through Peter saying, no, nah, my spirit is for all people. And so that message took off like wildfire. It wasn't for only a select group anymore. It wasn't reserved for the elite who could decipher secret spiritual codes. This part of the message was radical and revolutionary, and news about salvation reached beyond anyone's uh, imagination, over walls, over borders, over languages. It reached through cultures, and people from all over the world were starting to come to Christ because it was the first message that ever allowed them to be born different, think different, see different, and still be called a part of the family. Now, when the church was first formed, everything happened in Jerusalem within the Jewish people. That was their city. That was their hub. This is what you would call inside the family people. But God wanted to do something different. And so God the Father began to include people outside the family. And that's exactly where Acts chapter 10 picks up. Let's read verse 1. We'll go through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian court. So he was a Roman. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, "'What is it, Lord?' About our heavenly father in heaven, because he is the epitome of what fathering looks like, okay? He is the example. He is the one that shows how we are all to uh, father our children, how we are to father our relationships, father our businesses, father our churches, father our marriages. This is an aspect of care and self-sacrificial love that all fathers should have based on what Jesus did here. And the first thing that God did as a father is he spoke to the heart of an outsider, he spoke to the heart of an outsider. He said to someone outside the system, I'm interested in you. You're valuable to me. You're important to me. You're not born Jewish. As a matter of fact, you're part of the Roman guard. You're part of the system that is oppressing my people, my children, the ones that you, you actually, your people crucified my son, but I'm still interested in you. And so he goes to the outsider, the one outside the family, and he says, I'm interested in you. And then he does this really profound and scary thing. He gives them the secret lock and code to the head of the local church. See, you realize the reason Peter is living in Simon's house and it's so descriptive where he is is because the whole world that's against the church is looking to kill Peter. He's the sharp end of the spear. And Jesus goes to a Roman centurion Soldier that oversees hundreds of men and says, I'm interested in you, and you should go get Peter. And by the way, he lives over there by the tree next to the lake in Simon's house, just knock on the door three times, step back, whistle like a bird, someone will be there. It's it's really unfair to Peter who's hiding and trying to build the church, and then the Holy Spirit goes over to someone outside the, the system and says, You should go to Peter. He's right over there hiding behind that bush. Now, Peter, on the other end, is doing what God's called him to do. Peter's an insider. He's a a father like probably most of us would relate. He's protecting his people. He's making sure his family's safe. He's evaluating who comes in and who goes out. He's making decisions about the life of the church. This is his. God has given it to him and he knows it. He is an insider. He is inside the family. And the second thing the father does is he speaks to the heart of an insider. Look at verse 9 through 16. It says, the next day, as that earlier group were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, and it said, Rise. Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, oh, no. By no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Then it says, verse 16, I like this. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So Peter said no three times. Because if you just would have went, okay, kill and eat in my vision. Instead, he's like, no, that's not going to happen, God. See, i got a family to protect. I don't allow unclean things into my body, just like I don't allow unclean things into my family. God comes to him and prepares him, and he says, Peter, there's no longer clean and unclean. There is one people seeking me. There's one people looking for me, and you as an insider, you as part of the family, I'm now asking you to be obedient. I'm now asking you to listen to me. I'm now asking you to understand and be reminded that there is no group of people who are unclean and outside of God's rescue plan. This is unexpected. As a matter of fact, it messes Peter up so much so that even though he is obedient, he's confused. I think oftentimes people... Um, this is, this is, I'm going to step into my spiritual pastoral pulpit for a second. People love to hear me share with them what God's telling them to accomplish. God's telling them to do. People love to filter their thoughts through me, like, hey, I've been praying about these things, would you mind praying with me? And I'm always so uneasy about that because I don't know if people realize that half the stuff I do that God's asked me to do, I'm confused why I'm even doing it. Like, I get very little clarity from God because if I had clarity and assurance, then I don't know if I would be obedient. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if you can be obedient and want to do the thing you're supposed to do. If I order my kids to have a cookie and they're like, yes, sir, I'll eat this cookie... Because I respect you and who you are in my life. I don't know if they're being obedient any more than they're just getting what they want. But if I say, go to bed at nine o'clock on a summer night when the lights are up and the sun's out because you seem exhausted and you're kind of irritable, they look at me like I'm crazy. Because it requires obedience to do the things you don't understand that need to be done. I think Peter's confusion, you're going to see here in a moment, highlights his truest obedience that he could see that God was doing something, that even that he himself, even the most grounded of believers, needed to be reminded that God's message was for everybody and that no one is too unclean to hear it. That everyone who believes in Jesus finds release from sin and guilt. Everyone can have their lives put back together again and be a part of God's family. Everybody believes that. No one in this room, I think, unless you're wrestling with whether God is or isn't, wrestles with that point. When people wrestle with their faith is when God wants them to be obedient and do something that seems confusing to the insider portion of their family. When God's like, I want you to go minister to those outsiders. Oh, God, I'm, I feel comfortable here. I'm good here. I'm protective here. But that's not God's mission. That's not what set the world on fire with his message. The next thing God does is the Father joins the obedient insider— and the seeking outsider into one family. Verse 17 says, now why Peter was inwardly perplexed, I want you to see that Peter hadn't figured it out. He hadn't come to this solid place where he was like, the Lord is now revealing himself to people outside the Jewish nation. He was like, what? What? Three times, what? All of a sudden, someone comes running up the door wide-eyed. Peter, they found us. Who found us? There's a Roman guard at the door. Peter's now in a place where he has to trust that God has brought these outsiders to be part of the family or not. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. These are men that could take his life, these are men that could end the movement. These are the not the people you want to open your door to and allow in your family. Peter has systems in place for avoiding Rome. And now Rome's at the door? He thinks back to the vision. He trusts God. In verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, thinking, should I open this door or run over the wall? The Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so Peter does the obedient thing, and he invites them in to be his guests. Now, Peter hasn't figured everything out at this point. I think it's why it highlights that he's inwardly perplexed. Peter just knows that God is sending people from a different system, a different way of being, who were raised different, think different, act different, and they're sending them to him. He doesn't fully even understand why yet. I want to say something about our church, especially as we get prepped to move downtown. I think that, and we're experiencing a little of it now, but I think that, if we aren't prepared in our hearts, if, 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 if you don't think that when we move downtown we're going to attract different people than we're used to here on this college campus, I want to encourage you to look in the mirror and proclaim yourself naive. <laughs> because the reality is we're going to have different folks. They're going to look different. They're going to walk different. They're going to smell different. They're going to talk different. And God has given us this building He's set it at our door. I mean, it's knocking for all intents and purposes. And we're going to open the door and we're going to move down there. People ask me, Have you always had a heart for downtown? And I'm like, I want to say yes because it sounds so much more romantic. I'm like, Yes. A heart for anywhere there's a free building. That's what I have a heart for. A heart for that stuff. Anywhere that God, but really that's the reality. God gave us this. And so God's moving us there in His time, at His pace. And at his will. And it means the people around there that will be impacted by our, uh, our people moving to where they live, uh, that's gonna happen. This, this, this bridge is being built by the Lord. And I, I think sometimes here's why people have the hardest time accepting people who are completely and utterly different inside uh, their families. And I learned this from uh, a mentor friend of mine who gave this. This, this kind of lesson on what it means to really embrace all kinds of people. He said, here's what you need to realize. You need to realize that there is a difference between being part of a family and being part of the leadership of that family. There's a difference in being part of a family, being included, than there is in being a part of the leadership of that family. Ephesians 4. 11 through 13 talks about the Spirit of God and how he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain, this is critical, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, although everyone has access to Jesus, Not everyone has access to leadership. So some people are called to be pastors and teachers, and they're they're called to be apostles and evangelists. They're called to lead within the church and and measure themselves and be measured by the people, but most importantly, by Scripture and by the Spirit. And then to move in directions to steward, shepherd, and love the church based on the Holy Spirit's uh, desire placed upon their heart. the church but what happens oftentimes is people come in and they see all kinds of different people and then they assume those people are going to steer the church like as if the Roman centurion now was going to meet with Peter be explained who Jesus was and then use his power to say okay Peter now listen I'm going to be the new uh, cornerstone of the church and here's how we're going to do this I understand how to lead men that's not what's happening and that's not what's happening when our church gets filled to the brim with people different than you and me We can still be biblical-based. We can still be biblically-led and be full of people that don't fit anywhere else. As a matter of fact, I think that's the point. It's really us that makes it uncomfortable. And oftentimes it's us that makes it uncomfortable because we use our insider language to let other people know they don't really fit here. My wife and I recently joined a gym, right? We're going to start this fitness crusade I hope, and (laughs) super excited, I'm beyond excited, so uh, when I joined this gym, the one thing I noticed, the reason I joined it is I was super comfortable there for some reason, I didn't know why, Um, I couldn't figure it out, and after a couple months, my wife goes, hey, I was reading uh, one of the monitors, did you notice like there are three culture rules they have here, and I go, no, and she says, one says, hey, please no slamming of weights, it draws attention to you, and it doesn't say this, but it, it says basically that that guys like me who when they drop weights, it goes, you know, they don't feel nearly as, as powerful as the guys who drop weights and the whole gym shakes. It also said, please no grunting at this gym, which I thought was part of working out, not for me, but for those guys who want everybody to know, look how much weight I'm lifting, right? And those guys, it also said, please no yelling across the gym at other patrons. It was really interesting. And she goes, why do you think they had that? And we realized together it's because that's how gym culture works. I'm not part of gym culture. And if you want people like me to pay dues and come work out, you're going to make, I'm going to feel instantly left out if I'm not slamming weights, grunting and yelling at Frank and Bob and, you know, across the gym, like they're my best friends. See, we do that in church. We do that in church. We come up, and, and I'm not going to get into it too much because I, I just want you to evaluate it, but we talk in lingo that makes people who don't feel a part of the church even less a part of the church. We, we, don't, we don't respect the fact that people are seeking like this centurion, and we don't respect the fact that God has called us as insiders to be obedient, to be humble, to stay biblically based no matter what, to not lack any courage in our conviction, not even an ounce, but to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves about how we reach the community God apparently is placing us in. This is a big part of who we are, and I think this is what Peter was starting to, be, uh, to see. He saw that the father joins the obedient outsider and the seeking insider into one single family. He could see that happen. He could see that, 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 this was, that this was working. And he could see that God was giving these folks access to Jesus. Maybe not access to leadership. Maybe not access to where the church was going, but access to Jesus. And so eventually Peter Like you and me, I hope, obedient children of the Father shares that he can now see how his heart has been changed and that God was accomplishing this. Verse 34, the same chapter. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Do you know what the world does when you step in and you, and you kind of accept them where they are? You don't, it isn't that you become like them. It's that you accept them. You move towards them. You, you engage them. I'll say, first off, you have to be in a very spirit-led and confident place to do that because if you go running out into the world and you're not grounded in your call, in your, you're not being obedient and maybe a little confused as to why you have so much love for these broken people, and it's because you yourself are so broken, like Peter, then you can get swallowed up by the world easy. But I'll tell you, there's been a couple seasons in my life where God has strengthened me, and I've been able to go to some places I never thought I could go before. Some of you know that for many years now, my wife and I uh, breed these mastiffs, these dogs. We've done it for years. I've, it's just been something we've done as a hobby for a long time. And the dog community is very different than the church community. And I'm not Pastor Danny at... It, 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 to any of the people that I get to go to dog shows with or go to go to meets at, with i'm just danny i'm just a guy that shows up and 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 I, you know I love the animals and they love the animals and eventually uh through this about maybe maybe eight years ago, um, I got connected to a woman that i just I just connected with you know she was Late 50s, and and she was a single mom, and she was just super nice and super nurturing. And about six months into our relationship, I found out she was a full-blown professing witch. And I said, oh, I've been to her house. I thought all the lotions and the stuff on the wall was a little odd. And I'm not being, I'm I'm being serious. She had all these concoctions. And so I finally said to her, hey, I heard you're a witch. She goes, yes, of course I'm a witch. How did you not know that? She pulls out a pentagram. She's like, what? And I was like, oh, awesome. I said, did you know I'm a pastor? And she goes, you are not. I said, I am. She goes, is this going to change stuff for us? I said, not at all. So tell me about wicca tell me about what you know and so she told me all about it and she asked me some questions i answered best i could i read up on some stuff we talked about this for a good year just in passing when we would see each other i didn't scooch away from her i did not not answer her phone calls i didn't not show up i just did my thing i wasn't going after it but i wasn't avoiding it eventually she says to me hey she had this smirk in her i'll never forget this she goes there's someone here at this meet that wants to meet you and i go okay And she goes, "Uh, I just need you to know he's a little different. And I said, I'm fine with different. And she goes, well, he's, he's from my church. And I said, what's that mean? And she said, well, he's the magistrate Templar for the Satanic Church in Portland. And I've told him all about you. And he just couldn't believe that a pastor would be as kind and as genuine as you are with a witch. And he wants to meet you. And I said, sounds great. So I went about my business this is this is a true story and suddenly she walks up and she goes hey he's here he's right over there and there was a field about as wide as this room and I turned around and there's this very small man dressed in full black leather trench coat painted nails and a black beanie on with a large dark uh goatee kind of kind of boldly walking toward me and so I stood and I just remember getting this sense of he just looks like an average dude right which wasn't true but that's the sense i got for some reason and so instead of waiting for him to come to me i just started walking towards him now i gotta be honest we were gonna meet in the middle of this field and everyone around the dog place knew what was going to happen and just for a second i thought this might be like star wars where it goes blue red like like i didn't know i wasn't sure but i was like we're gonna see what happens and so as i went to reach for his hand He took his left hand and he pulled back his beanie. This was so strategic and sly. And he slid back his beanie as he grabbed my hand to reveal two implanted horns in his forehead. This is a picture of this gentleman. I shook his hand, made no mention of the lovely horns. I said, hello, my name's Danny. He introduced himself, and then we talked dogs for like a half hour. He was super articulate, very kind super cool guy. We hung out the rest of the whole day. He never mentioned anything about anything. A few meets later, my friend comes back and she goes, man, he really liked you. And she said he'd like to meet up again sometime, maybe in a coffee shop downtown somewhere late at night. And I was like, no, no, she, that's what she said. And she knew she was messing with me. She was like, maybe in a warehouse somewhere. And I was like, stop it. But my point is, you can take it down. My point is, that there was this sense of god was letting me know i got you and there are people outside the world and guess what is so profound about that gentlemen and all these folks in your life and maybe they're not as extreme but they all according to the bible and the gospel have access to jesus they all have lives worthy of healing they all have stories worthy of hearing They all have people that they want to get to know who they are. They are like you and me. But the truth is we have to stand bold in what we believe. We have to be wise. But it doesn't mean we can't shake hands or sit next to them when they come into our church to see what we're about. This is where Peter went. This is what God did when he joined them together. This was the power of his story. God is Lord of all. He ends. The story with. He ends that verse with, God is Lord of all. Do you want to know what happens when people don't operate that way? Do you know what happens when people begin to tweet or Facebook or just whisper to their friends or maybe even think in their own minds as they come across people less than them? Do you know how ugly that is and how damaging that is? I want to show you something that I came across just recently that I think gives a great picture of what really happens when we come across someone we don't know what to do with and we think in our minds, we feel in our hearts something outside of God's will for their life. Maybe it looks like this. I hate the homeless, I don't feel sorry for you. If you want change, let me throw it at you as hard as I can. At your dirty face. dirty face. I hate when it gets cold out, because then all the homeless people get on the bus. I wonder if homeless people go to heaven. Maybe if homeless people took care of themselves, looked pretty, we wouldn't, we would want to help them. But I don't help yellow teeth, well. Never understand why homeless people smell of piss when you can literally piss anywhere. I was enjoying a latte. When I saw a hobo girl across the street, I almost vomited. Get back on your side of the bridge, no one likes you. I hate seeing homeless people standing in the cold, shivering. Be glad when the light turns green. Well, that'll make it go away, won't it? If homeless is where the heart is, then are homeless people heartless? Hmm. Wow. Far from it. Now, we would never say those things out loud, or at least we don't think we would. Apparently, some of us did. But I challenge you to evaluate yourself and ask, have you felt it? Have you kind of experienced that feeling of, uh, if this would just change about these people, then I would be much more apt to be engaged with them. But clearly, they're, they're making choices that don't allow any kind of community acceptance or love. According to the Bible, the people I just described don't exist. There's no one on this planet that isn't worthy of his love and his acceptance. There's no one on this planet that doesn't have access to Jesus and his father. We are supposed to be those hands and feet. We are supposed to be those people. And yet oftentimes, I myself, I'll go first. Oftentimes, I'll see someone and I'll make a snap judgment and emotionally, I'll feel some of the things that were said in this video. Emotionally, I'll be kind of, ah. It is only when I'm before God and his fathering love and that I have the transformation that Peter has in his heart to go, now I see God is about his business. God is about all of this. God is about all of you. It is only when my heart of stone gets turned into a heart of flesh and that I then ache with my heart of flesh for people who have been bent and broken by this world. It is only then that I get to truly be who God has called me to be. This is what happens when people refuse to experience that heart change. That's what happens when people refuse to show love to anyone except those who feel and look like them. Do you know what happens when people experience the heart change, though, and they confess like Peter did? I'm no longer confused. I love you. I love you. I want to be part of this. It says that then the Father blesses and confirms the church and her new identity. Verse 44 in chapter 10, it says, while Peter was still pouring out his conviction of soul, saying, you are why I'm here. God is, God is breaking barriers. It's no longer Jew or Gentile. It is no longer rich or poor. It is no longer any of these things that break down in society and cause us to categorize people. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the unclean, even on the Gentiles. In our day and age, it would be everyone you deem not worthy, everyone you deem outside the family, everyone you deem outside the system or outside the culture. These people would be unclean to you. And now Peter shows up, shares with them the gospel, sees they receive it, proclaims that his heart has been transformed, maybe as much as theirs, and boom, the Holy Spirit deems it worthy. Boom, they become church. They become church right then and there. The Holy Spirit poured out even on the Gentiles, verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days and counsel and teach him. See, this is is what church is about. This is what fathering is about. Do you see how God fathered these people? How he moved them? How he loved them? Let's just ask some basic father questions based on what we just learned. First off, let me just ask fathers in the room. Based on what you learned comparing yourself to God, are you speaking to the heart of the seeking outsiders in your life? Are you speaking to the heart of them, not just talking to them? Are you speaking to the heart of them, the people that are seeking to change their lives? Or do you deem them unsafe for your family, unsafe for your church, unsafe for your community, unsafe for your workplace, and you deem them unworthy? Are you speaking and seeing their hearts, their stories? Are you mean tweeting people in your life emotionally all the time? God isn't. Fathers, are you remembering to speak to the heart of the obedient insider? Do you see in your life people who are trying to reach those people? And are you encouraging them? Are you coming alongside them? Are you facilitating them? Are you bringing people together as family or pulling these people apart based on your own religious judgments or brokenness? Lastly, are you blessing and confirming what is good and right? See, this is what God did when he fathered the church. He spoke to the heart of the outsider. He spoke to the heart of the obedient insider. He brought people together and formed a family or a church, and then he confirmed them. This is what we're supposed to do as Christians. This is spiritually fathering the people in our lives to be closer to Jesus. Let's change it up and look at it as children of God. Who is the Father leading you to minister to even if you are uncomfortable reaching out to them, even if you consider them unreachable? Do you have people you've just signed off on? Be honest. People you're like, I've tried five times, I'm done, I have a six-time limit, right? I have a nine-time limit. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I, I just want you to see none of that thinking is biblical. We try, it could be one time or a hundred times, we try until the Holy Spirit releases us from trying. That's when we try, that's when we stop. We try till God says, this person is being released to someone else's mission, or this person is no longer someone that, I, that I'm releasing them to their, to their ways. Whatever it is, we can do that, but we don't stop trying till God releases us from trying. As children of God, are you letting Jesus have His unexpected way, or do you have your whole life spiritually forecasted out? Now, I know this is happening to some of you because you ended up at this church. And you're like, this is, I, know, I have met some people that you're like, I cannot even believe I'm here right now. This isn't charismatic enough for me. You're not old enough to be even up there. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you're not tall enough. You know, that's never happened. But, but I'm sure some people have thought it. That's terrible. That's terrible. You would think that way about people this close to six feet. That's just a terrible thing. But the reality is, the reality is there's an unexpectedness that's happening in Kested, right? That's bringing people together who don't really fit together. Byron, uh, the man, my therapist that I see who spoke on our stage just recently, I asked him, what's the biggest thing you notice about our church? And he goes, I cannot believe the age range. How did you get these many people to connect in such a way? And I was like, I have no idea. Because we have such a great age range here of maturity and wisdom and new families. I mean, we, have a, we are a baby-making church. We have so many babies in our church. It's crazy. And then at the same time, we almost have a perfect grandparent-to-baby ratio. Almost perfect. Which some of you grandparents might want to figure that out. There might be a calling here. We might need help loving on some of those babies because not all those babies have grandparents. You're not done. You didn't show up here just to write it out, did you? Yeah, I see silver hair and I see opportunity. That's what I see. I'm like, right? I see opportunity. Let Jesus have his unexpected, unexpected way, Mima. We need you. All right, children of God, are you bringing life to those inside and outside your family? Are you just focused on you and the people you roll with? Are you focused on the community that you're a part of and even people that don't fit inside that community? See, this is what we are called to be. This is so exciting because it's what we are called to do. We are called to be people who bring life to people. And then, like Peter, have life brought back to us. And it's a stepping out into confusion, like Peter. It's a being disclosed uh, in 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 our safe spot where we thought we were safe. And all of a sudden, there's a Roman at the door knocking, saying, hey, I heard you might be a Christian. And you're like, I cannot believe you found me here. I spend time just with Jesus on this park bench every Saturday morning. And yet God just sends people to you to walk across fields, shake hands, maybe be ugly at the beginning. But by the end, hey, if I see you on the street, no problem. I want you to know my God's bigger than any story. My God is the only one, the only one who brings verdict on people's lives. And I'll tell you what, he gives every single living chance there is for them to have access to him. And sometimes that access is through me and through you. You're that chance. You're that handshake. For all I know, he's in church somewhere, probably a very different church than this one, sharing the story from a different perspective about me. And I walked up and he showed his cheesy church smile and he shook my hand and I could see love in his eyes, people. It was crazy. Here's his picture just a picture of me. They're going, ah! (laughs) You met him? Yes. Pastor in Vancouver. It's crazy. Right? But the point is, I was there. I showed up, and I'm so thankful that I did. We're supposed to show up. We're supposed to turn our worlds upside down. We're supposed to allow the spiritual children in our lives to see life differently than how they saw it on their own. Look at that verse again, Acts eleven eighteen. Look at the fathering that it took to say, when they, they. The ones on the inside heard these things about the ones on the outside. They fell silent, silent, for they were listening for God. And they glorified God in their worship, saying, Then to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, to the unclean, also God has granted graceful repentance that leads to life. God's fathering always leads to life. Your relationship should lead to life. You should be engaged and bold about it because you are an opportunity for someone to be granted access to Jesus Christ. For us dads today, in a real practical way, your life should lead to life. You should be granting access to your children, through your stories, to your wives, to your families, to the people at work, to strangers, to this church, to your community. You should be bringing access to Jesus through your life. We saw what the video looked like The dark part, what might it look like if we trusted God and through our confusion lifted our lives to glorify him? I think it might look like this. So Ollie, can you tell me about your dream you had last night? I you were floating. Oh yeah. Where were you floating? Okay. And I got i <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Shut. Shout. So go Yeah. Okay. You feel better? So can you tell me a little bit more about the dream you had last night? And then. And what did you see? See. Si. Uh. She said I was Mama Hi. Amen. my, sound That's how I think fathering at its finest offers us a way to see the world different. It offers us a way to see the world and everyone in it new fresh, clean, with potential. I think God has taught us through Scripture that that's the kind of Father He is. That wherever you're at in your story, whatever you've accomplished, whatever you failed at, He wants you to see those things in light of His love for you and how much hope He has for you and how much acceptance He has for you you all have access to Jesus to his forgiveness to his newness to his fathering this message has transformed the world I hope it transforms you today let's take some time and just ponder this let's let's worship, let's rest let's just sit Within our God, our Father. Maybe He wants to talk to you for a little bit. Father, we sit in this place right now with our hands and arms, with our hearts open to receive from you what it is you want to share with us. Thank you for this world that you've brought us into. Thank you for giving us a glimpse today of what it looks like when it's fathered well. May we rise to the occasion, God. May we choose you over and over again and so choose others. May we receive your forgiveness so that we can share your forgiveness. May we receive your love so we can share your love. May we receive your fathering and your care so that we can share your fathering and your care. We thank you, Lord. We just rest in this place in anticipation of what you want to do with it.